We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. It's the last chapter in Ephesians. Ephesians is so powerful, right? You've been going through it with us, I hope. I challenge people to do a 90-day experiment, keep reading it every day. Well, don't stop now. Chapter 6 is like the best ever. It's amazing. And we went through chapter 5 last week, which talked about marriage relationships. Well, now he's going into talking about other relationships in our life. And it comes down to this. The Apostle Paul was very clearly a man on a mission. And the scriptures teach everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a person on a mission following Christ. And lots of times the reason the Bible does not make sense to you is because you are not on the same mission as the Bible. You're supposed to be, but we're not. We're like on our own mission make our life happy and to make everything comfortable and to make it work and have fun. And the Bible says, no, 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 you're called to a bigger life than that. So if you're, if you're, if you're in this with me, you want to make a difference with your life. You want to do something significant. Well, then pay attention because this passage is powerful that way. And I'd like to just say a quick prayer for you as you look into it. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, as we look into the Holy Word of God, I pray you would help each person here Hear the word of the Lord, not just me. Lord, help us seriously evaluate where we're at and what we're thinking and what we're doing in light of the word of God. And I pray your spirit would speak to every person listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Apostle Paul was the one God used to write this book, this letter. They went to the church at Ephesus and a whole bunch of other churches. And the Apostle Paul, even before he became a believer, was a highly educated person by some of the best schools in the land. It'd be like somebody who graduated from Harvard with a PhD or from Yale or something like that. That's what Paul was like. And then he's, he's a radical person trying to purge the Jewish faith of these, he considered a cultish. Christianity was like a cult within Israel. And so he's going to wipe them out. And then he becomes a Christian through unbelievable experiences of Jesus speaking to him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And other things that happened. Paul not only had an extreme education, but he also had extreme experiences. He had experienced miracles. He had seen healings. He had performed healings. He had seen God work in powerful ways in his own life and in other people's lives. He had been rescued from death several times. He'd seen God do all kinds of crazy and wonderful things. So it must have been quite amazing for the Ephesians people to be with him. He spent time with them. He he literally lived with them for two years. And then if you read Acts chapter 20, we won't take time to do that now, but if you looked it up, in Acts chapter 20, there's a story of Paul leaving Ephesus to continue his missionary journey. And as he's leaving, he gives these final uh, words to the church. And the people come forward and they're hugging him and kissing him and crying their eyes out. Paul, you know, I know you got to go on the mission, but it's so sad. And they're so sad for him because he's leaving. They've fallen in love with this guy. He was such a powerful person. But Paul knows he needs to go because he's on mission. And so he very much sees himself as this person on the mission and what he's concerned about. Same concern I have for you. Is, is He's concerned they won't be on the mission. That they'll just be a Christian. Not really a missionary. Not seeing that their marriage, 
their kids, their job, their life. Everything they do is supposed to be about what? Making disciples, making a difference, having a significant impact. The, the mission of Christ is the job of the Christian to carry on. And it's, it's when we, we, we mesh with that, it's when we comprehend that, that we understand the Apostle Paul's writing. It's when you don't comprehend that, that it doesn't seem to make much of a difference. So I want you to know that from the get-go, because that makes this passage of Scripture in particular all kind of fit together and fall into place. And when you miss that part, it, it just doesn't make sense, or you might have a lot of questions. So I, I would like you to think about that as we take a look at what's going on in this passage. I put it down what's called the big idea, because it's kind of the how-to, how to make this work. He says, to change the world, which is the mission Paul's on, you need to pay attention to God in your relationships. We as Christians are supposed to be doing this, so he talks about our marriage, he talks about our children, the pastor is looking at today, and, and raising our children talks about our jobs, and, and, and eventually ends the chapter talking about prayer. Now I need to just stop for a minute, take a little parenthesis here, just like a warning. You know, uh, I know if I'm going to talk about, which the passage starts out today, talking about parent-child relationships, particularly in that area. There's some people here, I know I'm walking into, for many of you, a painful area. I mean, I know there's people in our church I've talked to. I, met, I had a man the other day say, yeah, I haven't talked to my son in 15 years. Whoa, what's wrong? I remember back when, when I was in, in, in seminary, I worked in a psych ward with a couple Christian psychiatrists, and they assigned this one gal to me, a beautiful little 18-year-old blonde girl who had been sexually abused by her dad. And now we're trying to help her get better. Or, I remember there's a guy that was a, a scientist in our church, a PhD, biochemist. Very intelligent guy. But he had been abused by his mother. So, I don't know who, what kind of relationship you got with your mom and dad or your children. But this could be a painful subject for you. And what he's saying here is exactly what you need to hear. You don't think Paul saw that in Ephesus? You mean, if, if you think our society's going to hell in a handbag or a mess or dysfunctional, you should have lived back in Ephesus. It was an entirely pla paganized place. All kinds of dysfunction and hardship and pain and parents not paying attention and, 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 and broken relationships. So what Paul says here, he has that in mind because he lived there. He knew it. And you're going to see it as we explain what's being said here, how that fits so well. So I know it's a painful area for many of you, but that's exactly why we need to look at it. And maybe it's not so painful because you find it easy to obey your parents and you find it easy to have good parents and stuff like that. A lot of that too, I know. But it's still highly instructional. And so the first thing we want to look at is this. Paul's saying, point one in your outline. Where did it? Thank you. Thank you. Boy, I got scared there for a minute. Lost my notes. Of course, third time through, I should be able to do it without notes. But anyway, um, look at this. Parents and children need to pay attention to God. That's the bottom line what he's saying. Look at verse 1. Ready? Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What is the key word? Well, you'd have to admit, the key word is obey. And I could show you the Greek words that mean obey. I could show you contexts in which they are presented and teach you all kinds of things about obeying. And I'm not sure that would do us much good. 
Because that's not the key. The key to this is what's said next. Obey your parents in the Lord. (laughs) I don't know if you get it, but obeying your parents is one thing. Obeying your parents in the Lord is an entirely different thing. Let me explain. Obey your parents. You're going to obey your mom. You're going to obey your dad because, heck, they've been around longer than you. They know more than you. It's my mom. It's my dad. They love me. Right? But if I'm going to obey my parents in the Lord, all that is beside the point. I'm obeying my mom. I'm obeying my dad because I know the Lord is going to work through that authority over me to me for the good qualities they do have, for the things... I don't even respect them. Or I don't even think they care that much about me. So, I'm obeying them because I obey the Lord. So, obeying somebody in the Lord is an entirely different thing, entirely different motive, entirely different statement than saying just obey. No, I'm obeying them in the Lord. That's really significant to understand. Even if your parents are abusive, even if they are wrong, obeying them in the Lord, he goes on to say, is what? Did you notice what he says here? Obey them in the Lord, for this is right. What does he mean by that? It's right. Well, there's a couple different things I think he means. First thing is this. You obey your parents in the Lord because it's right. In other words, well, they probably do more, know more than you. They have been around longer, and there are some qualities, the things they have learned from life. Maybe they've even perverted it, but there's some good things they have, right? I remember about 10 years ago, one of my grandsons, I got six of them, you know, and three granddaughters, so I got a lot of grandkids. And um, my grandson was three then, and he's having a conversation with my wife, Lori. And she's trying to get him to do something, and he goes, no, Grandma, I don't need to do that. She goes, yeah, yeah, you do, buddy, you need, you need to do that. He goes, no, Grandma, I know everything. I, I, don't, I know I don't need to do that. She goes, buddy... Uh, you listen, I'm 50 some, I forget what she was, I'm 53, some I'm 52. She says, I've been around a lot longer than you, and I know a lot that you don't know because you're only three, you know. And he goes, but Grandma, I know everything. <laughs> he seriously, that was his argument. Like, and you're all laughing, we all laugh because we realize... The little guy, I don't care how cute he is, how smart he is, he doesn't know everything. There's so much he doesn't know. But what causes a cute little guy like that, or we've had granddaughters and other grandsons do the same kind of thing, to think like that, talk like that? Because it's us. It's human nature. We even think sometimes we know what's better for our life than God. There's a certain arrogance, a certain pride, a certain foolishness that's bound within the heart of even a cute little guy like that that thinks, oh, I know. I know it's right. I know what I should do. You don't have to tell me. Yeah, I do. That's why God says obey your parents because even as smart as you think you are, you don't know what you need to know. And your parents know a lot that you need to know. That's the first reason why it's right. He says. The second reason is right is what I just went through with you about in the Lord. I've no, I don't know if you've learned this yet. The scripture teaches something radical to this culture. You, you and I live in a very rebellious culture. Respects no authority. Remember we talked about that last week? Submit, submit to who? Nobody submits to anybody anymore, right? 
But the Bible teaches very clearly, God works through the authority puts over you. Your mom or your dad, they're a Christian, they're not a Christian. So? They're doing good things, doing bad things. So? God's going to work through them is what the scripture teaches. And I want to show you how that works. But God's going to do that. And so the second reason they're right is because God's going to use them in your life for good, for the right thing. Even though they might have bad things in mind. Of course, he's not saying obey your parents when they're telling you to do something sinful or immoral or unrighteous. Of course not, because it's in the Lord. But obeying your parents in the Lord, that's what's right. That's what he's trying to point out. Now, look what he goes on to say. You ready for the rest? He goes on to say in verses 2 and 3 this. Obey your parents in the Lord. And then he pulls out something from the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's actually the fifth commandment, but the first one that has a promise attached to it. Here's the promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long on the, uh, in the land. So he's saying here, it's just like the Old Testament, where God, to have a group of people called Israel, his nation, to impact the world, he gave them ten commandments, and the fifth one, he promised them something in it and said, well, if you obey your parents, you're going to be blessed. God's going to use that in your life in a powerful way for your blessing, to help you in your life. But when you dishonor your parents, it's going to actually work against you. There's going to be repercussions. There's going to be consequences in how you deal with this one. Other commandments, he didn't even mention it. But here he goes, well, if you do this well, it's going to go well with you. If you do this poorly, it's not going to go so well for you. Wow. It's almost as though he's saying this commandment is a little more heavyweight than most of them. It carries consequences with it. The reason being is that Paul's saying you're on a mission. And the mission you're on is going to be accomplished through you learning to deal with the relationships in your life. And especially if they're over you. Like even just your mom and dad. Uh, There's a living example of this I saw just the other day. uh, a week or two ago, I met with a guy, went over here to the Chinese restaurant for lunch and got talking, and he used to be a pastor, and that's when I knew him. He was a pastor for years. And um, now he has another job. He felt God calling him to get involved with teenagers and work in schools. And he's actually the chief disciplinarian in a middle school in one of the toughest areas of Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, I bet you'd all love that job, right? I, Oh my gosh, sounds like a horrible job. You see, yeah, nobody wants my job. It's not, I don't have to worry about losing it. I said, well, tell me about it. He says, well, it's really tough, Marty. Uh, these kids are really hurting kids. Um, half the kids are, are just raised by their mom because there's literally no dad around. There's no, your dad's maybe a drug dealer. Their dad's maybe an alcoholic or... Leading a gang even, but there's no dad around. So they're raised by single moms, almost most of them. We're talking 12, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, you know, middle school. And he says, the other half of them, they're not raised by a dad and mom at all. There's no dad. There's not even a mom. They're raised by grandmother. He says, there's no man in the whole community. None. Maybe a grandpa here and there or some drunk dad, but that's it. He says, so these kids come in, you talk about dysfunction, you talk about abused, you talk about neglected. They're horrible at 13 years old. It's ridiculous. I'm the chief disciplinarian. 
He says, I'm telling you, he says, their only hope, their only hope is that somehow they could connect to the Lord, to be rescued, to be saved out of that situation. That's their really only hope. Because they've been abused, they've been hurt, they've been taken advantage of. This passage, like, how would they obey the Lord? He says they would obey the Lord, and they would obey, I mean, their parent, by obeying the Lord. Their only hope is to come to Him as their Heavenly Father. If you've been abused, if you've been taken advantage of, if you've been hurt by your mom or your dad, or vice versa, you're a child that's been hurt by your parents, it's the same answer for you. Do you get that? You're no different than the kid in Trenton. You have to see, he's my heavenly father. He's my real dad. And he's going to work in my life even through my earthly dad or without an earthly dad. But my hope is in the Lord because I submit to my father in the Lord. That's the key. Whether you're a kid in Camden, you're a kid right here. The answer is I submit to show honor and respect to God. That's how I honor my mom and my dad. Huge. If you'll notice next, the Apostle Paul switches to the dads. He says this in verse 4, really? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ooh, he threw that in there again. Of the Lord. He's saying to the dads now, hey dads, why is he saying this? Because he saw it. He lived there with them. And he says, there's some dads around here, man. They, they provoke their kids to anger. They don't have to live like this. They're making the tension in the family. So he says, fathers, you got to remember, you answer to the same God on how you discipline and instruct this kid. You're going to answer to God. He's the heavenly father. Just like your kid is going to have to answer to God, so are you on how you raise them. So you watch your mouth. You watch the way you lead. You're supposed to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, he says. The Lord. Again, pointing back to God. Key to the whole passage. In the Lord. Of the Lord. Through the Lord. It's all about seeing him as the one that's in charge. Called to a mission you are to follow him, is what he's trying to point out. Now, Paul says this, I think, because in Ephesus, in all the surrounding towns, they were ruled by Rome. And I don't know if you're familiar, but in the Gentile world, this is extremely important. They had a, a statement. It goes like this. Patria potestas. Patria potestas means the father's power. And so he only instructs the fathers here because he sees so much misuse there because they're buying into Patria potestas. Patria potestas means the dad's in charge completely. That was from Rome. It was like the law, meaning that no one could question the father's rule. Seriously, a baby was born. They take the baby and the little wrapped in swaddling clothes, put it in front of the father. If the father stands up and takes the baby, it's his baby. If the father turns around and walks away, the baby is put up for adoption, put out in the street, killed, whatever. And the father, Patriarchus means he has complete control. Complete. He can discipline that kid any way he wants, and no one can question his law. If he wants to kill the child, it's fine. It's within the law. Whoa. So here's Paul, knowing he's talking to people that live in that kind of an environment, saying, Fathers, you answer to God, not the Roman government. You answer to God for what you do. And you are supposed to not provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. 
You know, I don't know about you, but with this passage, it hits pretty close to home, doesn't it? I've noticed in uh, almost 40 years of being a pastor, I can talk to people about a lot of things, but when I start t- saying, hey, you shouldn't be raising your kid like that, that's wrong. They're like, thanks, Marty, but you know, stick, stick to your own business, right? It's one of the hardest things to talk to somebody about, how they raise their kids. Uh, you just don't understand. Keep your nose out of this. <laughs> We're like that. Here's Paul sticking his nose in it, saying, no, God told me to tell you some things about parenting about children obeying their parents. Just like a kid doesn't want to do it. (laughs) We want to do what we want to do, right? I remember one time, after I'd become a Christian, when I was 18 years old, and it's hard to explain, but when I was in high school, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, I got in a lot of trouble. I got kicked out of school a few times. The law, all kinds of stuff with my mom and my dad, constantly lying to them, betraying them. It was ridiculous. I won't get into it. It's just not good. So I become a Christian at late in my 18th, almost 19, and then I go to this conference, and I hear this speaker speaking about honoring your parents and all these different things. And I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying passages like this. I'm th- seeing these things. And one speaker, like when I'm just turning 20, he's saying, you know, if you really wrong someone like this, you should go back and make it right. And so I got a list in my mind of people I got to write a note to or go visit or give them a phone call, and I'm doing that. And the biggest one on the list eventually became my dad. Because, you know, I really had wronged him in many ways. Kind of stole from his authority. Disrespected him. Honor? No way. I was dishonoring him over and over again. So I was under this conviction. Finally got up the guts one night. Literally, I'm in my bedroom, and I decide, okay, I got to do this. So with, you know, just new uh, strength, I walk over to Dad's bedroom, and Mom, I'll never forget it. I'm like 19, 20 years old. Mom's over at the, 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 her dresser at the mirror. They're doing her hair to go to bed. I don't know what she's doing. But Dad's laying there in bed in his underwear. And he's got the blanket over him, you know. Hey, buddy, what do you want? And I go, uh, Dad. And I'm like choking out the words because I'm like this far from crying. I mean, it's, I, isn't it hard talking to your dad sometimes? It's like the hardest person in the world. So I'm talking, and he totally loves me. I had a great dad, but I really wronged him. So I felt like I need to say that. I did practice and everything. Dad, I just wanted to say, you know, I know through high school. And, see, I was so embarrassed when I became a Christian, I didn't even tell my dad. Our, our relationship was so fractured, so dysfunctional, I didn't even tell him. I just thought, well, I guess you'll have to see. And he, by that time, had seen a lot. I was now a total Jesus freak. <laughs> I'd gone the other way. And so he's listening to me. Remember, my dad was a factory worker. My dad was a Marine Corps, World War II guy. He's a tough dude. He hears me say this, and he can tell, and this smile starts coming over his face. I'm almost done saying it. And he goes, hey, that's okay, buddy. Throws the covers back and walks to me in his underwear. Gives me a hug. Says, I love you, man. I said, I love you too, Dad. I I had no idea that 10 years later when my dad suddenly died, I never got to say goodbye. That was my goodbye. I never got to say. Thank God I listened to him. Thank God I gave him some honor that he did. My dad wasn't perfect. He didn't do everything right. Did he provoke me to anger sometimes? Yeah, I provoked him to a lot of anger too. But we needed to get right. Is there somebody here you need to get right with your kid? Is that why God's telling you? 
telling us this here? Because Paul knew there's some people in Ephesus. They need to get right. The fathers need to get right with the kids. The kids need to get right with their dad. Do you need to do this? I also thought at times when I didn't do the right thing with my kids. I raised three daughters. That's really hard. (laughs) And I remember one daughter and I particularly butted heads. You know how there's usually one kid, you just, they're too much like you? My problem was, and I remember one time in particular sitting on her bed. She's like a young teenager, and we both, I just asked her forgiveness for some things I'd said, and she's doing the same. That's okay. I was surprised how easily she gave me forgiveness. Oh, Dad, I say stupid things too. Okay, so we're hugging and crying. Oh, man, I'm so glad I did that. Have you ever done that? You haven't? You are perfect? Well, you're way above me. Like, I, I'm not perfect in all my words. I said some bad things. You know, it's like, you didn't you did, you did need to do that? Do you see what Paul's saying? You want to change the world? Start with your mom. Start with your dad. How about your kid? That's where you go to. Your relationships. That's what changes the world. He's going to go on talk about masters and slaves saying, big deal, you got a master. How you treating him? So what do you got a slave? How you treating him? Doesn't even question masters and slave things or slavery at all. So the big issue is, what are you doing in your relationships? That's how we change the world. By this, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Well, it's got to be in church. It's got to be in the family. And this is where it starts. So often... We think, well, I've got to go be a missionary. I'm going to have to go be a pastor. I'm going to have to go. No, you don't. You change the world when you start with your life, living as to the Lord. So when he talks to the kid, saying, are you living as to the Lord? When he talks to the parents, are you living as to the Lord? And he's going to go on saying the same things about slaves and masters, or as we would interpret it, employers, employees. Look at it with me. Employers and employees need to pay attention to God, he says. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Notice, take it real serious. With a sincere heart. Why? As you would Christ. Powerful, isn't it? Bible scholars say, if we didn't have slavery like we don't today, he'd say, well, this would apply to employers and employees. That's why I put it in that language. He says to do it with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart. Notice, take this very seriously. Uh, Look at verses 6 through 9. It goes on farther. He says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. There it is again. And not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same. Do the same to them, your slaves, you mean. And stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Historical background to this is this. Um, There's not a direct comparison between slavery back then and slavery in America with African slaves. There's some similarities. There was abuses back then, just like there is now, but it was a very different environment. Sometimes you could be what they called a bond servant. You could literally pay off a debt by somebody saying, hey, I'll tell you what, let's sign it up. I'll be your slave for a couple of years. Really? 
Yes, slaves had a lot of authority and sometimes abused it, just like we hear about in old slavery days in America. But sometimes slaves and their masters became like really close friends, too. When Paul was writing this letter, half the people in church, scholars estimate, were slaves. Half of them. And he said, not just regular slaves. I mean, some of these were doctors and lawyers and teachers and they're slaves. Like I said, huh? Totally different than the slavery we understand in American history. So it's a very different environment. Paul's not afraid to buck the system if he has to. That's not the point that some have accused him of. He wants a transformation attitude, a transformational heart. I wrote down some things. Slaves are actually free in Christ is the point he tries to make. You see that especially in the book of Romans. And freedom is not tied to external status. He's trying to point that out here. And external freedom is not as important as internal freedom in Christ. That's the point. So next time, you find yourself wanting to complain about the boss. Or you're the boss, and you want to complain about your employee. Think about this passage. It's saying you're supposed to treat them as you would Christ if he was the employee. Or Christ if he was the boss. He's saying because the truth is, he is. As you've done it to the least of these. He's trying to say, you you need to put as to the Lord. In fact, did you notice that phrase? The key word is definitely the key word obey, right? And then the key phrase is this. As you would Christ, he mentions in verse 5. Look at verse 6. He says, servants of Christ. Do it like you're a servant of Christ. And that's why you would serve them, he's saying to the slaves. And as to the Lord, verse 7, same concept. And then he says to the masters, do the same. Do the same what? Do the same kind of service as to the Lord, as the slave does. Because you're both going to answer to God. That's what he's trying to say. This is something, through all of the chapter, and even back into chapter 5 about husbands and wives, is the major theme through the whole thing. Learn to live your life. Paul's so afraid these people are going to go off mission. And they're going to go off mission by serving people. Husbands and wives, or children, or, or, or their master. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You're Christian now. You do everything as to the Lord. You walk with everybody as you would walk with the Christ. This is what you need to learn in your life. I don't know if you've grabbed that yet, but that's what you need to get a hold of. Wait a minute. I, I'm a Christian now. I, I have a mission to perform, and my mission is live my life to the Lord. We, we use those statements, well, I live for the Lord so glibly. And then you look at my particular life and you go, ah, it doesn't look so much like it. Complaining about the boss just like everybody else. Not getting along with your spouse just like everybody else. You're harsh to your kid. Like, what you're missing is the whole truth right here. As to the Lord. Can you do this with a clear conscience before the Lord? That's the test right there. This is, this is a powerful passage sometimes we read so simply. You know, you know what's interesting? Paul doesn't say anything like putting to deal with um, the slavery is bad here, does he? And you won't find that much in the New Testament. Why? Because the answer is here. It's serving your, living your life as to the Lord. For example, here's major Christian leaders that have had a lot to do with changing putting slavery out, abolition, in, in, in America and in Europe. John Newton, a famous slave trader, 
who ended up writing Amazing Grace and becoming a pastor. You know the song Amazing Grace. He referred that to himself. William Wilberforce, a politician in, in, in England who passed laws, and by the time he died, these major laws were passed to make slavery illegal in Britain. David Livingston, a famous, famous uh, pioneer missionary, totally against slavery, used to preach against it. Abraham Lincoln, you know about him as President of the United States, the Civil War and everything, or Martin Luther King Jr. All these guys are pastors, dedicated Christians, missionaries. What's going on here? Why are they doing this? Is it because the Bible told them to? The Bible told them to in the word we're picking up here, as to the Lord. They start thinking, if I'm going to live my life as to the Lord, then having slaves and treating them the way people do is wrong. It's not right. It's sin. And so they became abolitionists and against and wanted to abolish slavery. All because of that statement repeated over and over again we've seen today. As to the Lord. As to the Lord. As to the Lord. Now, I'm going to finish the sermon by a little video clip I'm going to have you watch of a guy in our church. It's, it, the story's not about parenting or being a child. The story's not about being a, an employer or an employee. The story's about a guy who becomes a Christian and really realizes, maybe for the first time, I'm on a mission in my life. And I'm supposed to complete that. You see, what you don't know is the mission he used to be on was as a very strong, vocal atheist. He was a, he was a um, robotics engineer, and he was a very smart man and loved to argue with Christians and show them how stupid they were. And then the Lord came into his life about five or six years ago, so radically changed him. So this guy, whose name was Christian de Trump, and his wife Kelly became Christians. But what was so cool about Christian, the reason he's grown so fast that now he's going to tell you he feels called into ministry, was because he's heard that he is on a mission now. And he's believed it. I want you to listen to this story. We'll talk about it when I come back. Okay, well, it's exciting to have the opportunity to do a God at Work Part 2. Uh, the first God at Work story was about my transition from an atheist uh, to a person who believed in Christ and who was captured, uh, you know, almost totally by, by Christ's love in my life. What God has done lately is absolutely incredible. Um, when I look back on all of the things that we have been through since 2015, I can see how God has prepared me uniquely for the challenges that lay ahead. Uh, one of the you know, most important steps was when we got involved in Alpha uh, for the first time. It was it was an amazing experience. I felt as though I was welcomed into a community where I could ask any question and and not be judged. And through that process, I came uh, to be close with a lot of uh, you know the people in this church. I became interested in developing a Christian apologetic and a scientific apologetic that would be able to speak into the lives of people who had a similar upbringing to my own. Uh, and it was in the process of teaching apologetics to these people uh, that 
I felt as though this was something that uh, I could make my life, that, that Jesus was calling me to speak into people's lives in this way, uh, and that it was, um, it was a goal for me to finish school and to actually become ordained. When I initially entered school, my concept was I needed, you know, a better understanding of the Bible and I needed to get some Bible classes under my belt and boy wouldn't it be great if I actually understood what it was I was talking about when I spoke to people about Jesus. But as the Apologetics Mini Church went on, it became a heavier and heavier uh, burden on my heart that this was something that I was really called to do. And so I began to re-examine my motives for going to school and I began to re-examine what my lifestyle would look like if I were to follow the call into ministry. So my master's will be a master's in Christian studies with a focus on spiritual formation, Um, which is uh, interesting because the church that I'm going to be going to in Indiana has placed a focus on their uh, protege uh, to develop spiritual formation within that community. In fact, if you look back on everything that God has done over the last uh, three years, the amazing thing is that what this church needs and what I have learned through the community here at FAC and through the parachurch ministries that I've been involved in, they match almost perfectly one-to-one. I can see how God has been shaping me through the process of school and ministry specifically for this event, and it's a, it's a humbling experience. This journey has just been so eye-opening and a, a, uh, a sermon on surrender and a sermon on trust because... I'm I'm the girl who, other than marrying Christian, has really not changed much in my life for almost two decades. And when Chris got the email for this potential internship, he he didn't actually tell me for a couple of days because he knew I was going to say no. And he finally tells me, and I was like, yes. He's like, what? I'm like, yes. I was like, let's do it. I'm like, I'm not going with, but you should go because God's calling you and this is what's supposed to happen here. He's like, okay. And then, of course, I was wrong because God wanted me to go too, and that's okay. But it's just been, it's just, I don't know where the yes came from. I know where the yes came from. It came from God, but I didn't expect the yes. I didn't expect this transformation in my heart so fully. So six years ago, I married an atheist, and in about a year, I'm going to be a pastor's wife. That was a completely unexpected gift that I didn't know I needed or wanted. You know, it's been an amazing journey, and it's it's almost impossible to think of the person that I was five years ago, uh, who was just lost in in my atheist worldview, uh, with very little hope and uh, and very little reason to trust in or believe in God, and to see the things that He's done in my life, uh, not just since I've accepted Jesus Christ, but in in my entire life leading up to the point where I did accept Jesus Christ, it's amazing to see how he worked in the life of a sinner as I was to uh, bring me to a point now where I am able to serve him the way that I do. My name is Christian Detram, and this is how God has been at work in my life. I want to have you stand up. I'd like to have you stand up. We're going to end this service with a song. I know most of you here are not going to go on for more schooling and get more education like Christian, go into ministry as a pastor or a missionary. And that's fine. Most of the people here weren't either. It's not the call. But 
You're still called to be a world changer. You're still called to make a difference with your life and have a significant impact. And the answer to that is the same kind of thing Christian Trump did. It's like you realize God's calling you to be at work. And you start with your relationships, whether it's your marriage or, or with your kids or with your dad and mom or, or even with your boss or your employees. It's, it's going into these relationships as the Lord would, saying, I'm going to serve now the Lord who's above all. I answer to him and I will answer to him. So God's going to have to transform me and change me. Maybe you saw it here. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to go get right with somebody else or change your attitude. Ask God to show you. As we sing this song together, and I'm going to come and pray with you at the end. Put those thoughts in your mind. service, you've seen that this church is all about uh, doing stuff. (laughs) Oh, we are. We very much are. If you want to make a difference in your life, you've come to the right place. You really have. Whether you end up in California with my friend Jim or you're working with Suresh to the, the fest next week and hear about different missions opportunities or all the different things we're doing around the world or even locally. It's all because we really believe that being a Christian means you've been called on a mission. Have you gotten a hold of that yet? You need to. This is when it all starts making sense and coming together. This is when the power of God comes upon you. This is when the ability is there. And the ability to work through these relationships with mom and dad or your children or even your boss is all because you're saying, okay, now my life is, is in the Lord. I'd like to pray with you about that. Bow your head with me. Lord, we come before you humbly. If you're here and God's been speaking to your heart about getting right with your mom or dad or showing them honor even in a whole new way, Lord, give them the strength to do it like you did me. Even if they go and confess to some sin with their mom or dad. Or maybe it's a 
It's if mom or dad that needs to go to their child and say, I'm sorry, son, I'm sorry, daughter, for what I did, what I said. Oh, Lord, give him the strength to do it. Lord, even with our bosses and all these relationships, it's all your strength we need. So that's why we sing this song about giving it to you and asking you to take us, Lord, and use us for your glory and honor. So you're here with me and you're going to pray a final prayer. What should you pray? Lord, I from here on out am going to live as to the Lord. Help me see and understand how to do that in every relationship in my life. That way, my life will make a big, big difference in this fallen, sinful world. So I dedicate myself, I dedicate myself to you in Jesus' name for that purpose, that mission. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.